Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. Let me start at the beginning. Almost two years ago, it'll be two years in May, so a year and nine months ago, Jennifer, as you know, had an aneurysm. She was a miracle, the fact that, A, she survived the aneurysm and is doing as well as she is through and because of this aneurysm. That took place on a Wednesday afternoon. And that day, she had a meeting at her church, and we had our services that night, and then in the church parking lot, she had her aneurysm. A lot of stress brings on this, as well as other medical issues. For months, she was in the hospital. I know many of you, and also myself, was there every day, every day at Methodist, hours and hours spending with her family, just praying over her and comforting, encouraging her family, helping them get through this time, really not even knowing if she was going to make it. But through God's grace, she made it through. And God is a healing God. Amen? Amen. And we praise God for that. Immediately after that, she went to Utah with her aunt, who was very close to her, like a sister. And she was going through therapy, was doing very well there, and, uh, and enjoyed the therapy she received while she was there. During this time... We chose as a board to say, you know what, we are going to continue uh, to support her financially. She still received full salary all that time that she was in Utah over, over six months. When it did not appear that there was any change there, the end of the year, we throttled back the salary part because she was living with Gypsy. Gypsy is her aunt and was taking care of her. And and so, as far as like her position, it was more of a part-time position because now she's like, no, I got to get back to work. I got to get back to work. When she came back, we said, Jennifer, you're only seven months out of this. You you're not ready for full time. You're not ready to take on this load and responsibility. And we agonized through that. Because there was a, a lot of pressure. I kept saying, no, I need it. No, you got it. No. And so we we're like, how do, we, how do we handle this? So well, we said, okay, we'll move her to full time. And with the understanding that Julie would come alongside of her and essentially assist her through the children's ministry. And praise the Lord. I don't know where we would be or she would be if it wasn't for Julie. Julie has done an amazing job helping her through these months and through this year, this past year. Julie has done a lot of the heavy lifting for her. Trying to, we're all trying to keep the load off of Jennifer um, just because she was not ready to come back. And her neurologist, uh, nor her neurosurgeon, gave her a release. Because we said, you really need a release from your doctor before you can move on to full time. We find out later she only went to her general practitioner who saw her for that 20, 30 minutes and said, oh, sure, you can go back full time. Really doesn't know the depths of what she just went through like the neurologist does. And so she came back literally the next day to the board and said, I have a note. I need to go full time. We just said, okay, here's how we'll do it. And that's where we, praise the Lord, had Julie to be able to come alongside of her. Through this year, we have been trying to take whatever pressure off of her and at the same time be very tolerant and and understanding with her condition. But over these past few months, she is out with headaches, severe headaches, stress headaches, and physical problems. She's out every week, at least one full day a week, and many days not into late in the day. She's only been able to average about 22 hours since September, and just because this burden is a lot for her. In October, we began to pray about this and say, Lord, what do we do? 
What do we do what's best for Jennifer? What do we do what's best for the body? How can we best minister to her? We spent that month fasting and praying over this because I'll I'll tell you something. These men up here, we have enough issues that we deal with week in and week out between people going through financial hardship, physical hardship, hospital, marital. We're, We're always involved in helping someone through something. So much so that we don't go out and seek to create our own problems. You understand what I'm saying? We don't say, well, how can we create a storm to uh, put out there? So we said, we need to pray through this. And so we did. At the end of that time, it was in the first part of November, I had a vision from the Lord concerning a bird. And this bird had a broken wing. And the wing was healed, and you could see it was healed, but as I watched it fly, it could fly a short bit and then stop. Fly a little bit and then stop. And this was the plight of the bird that once could fly freely, but now no longer could. I shared that with Ron, and I knew that this was a vision concerning Jennifer. She is healed in very many ways, physically to look upon her and to talk with her at short intervals. And she can make these short leaps physically and emotionally. And when I shared that with Ron, we didn't know what to make of it other than where we came out on its interpretation. Without saying anything to Julie, about a month later, Julie had called me aside, and she said, I had a dream last night that God had given to me, woke me up afterwards, and just impressed this upon my mind that I need to come talk to you about it. I said, okay. And she starts out with, it was about a bird, and it was injured. And though it was healed, the other birds around it were pecking it. And were going to peck it until death and kill this bird. And as we considered this and prayed over this, you look at this, I said, Lord, what is this? Are these birds personalities? Are these birds people? Or are these birds problems and struggles? that come at her, that continue to wear her down. And the thing is this, Jennifer is amazing with people. She is a people person. She has a gift of people, gift of caring, a gift of mercy. She's wonderful with people. She struggles with process. She struggles with how do you do these things. That's why it took her, if you know, it took her a very long time just to drive again because it involves process. It was a very long time for her just to go through some simple things that before were very simple for her, but then became a challenge now. And as we prayed over this, and I, I said, what do we do, Lord? He reminded me that he is the husbandman. That means the farmer. The farmer does not admonish the other birds, nor does the farmer keep the other birds at bay. What the farmer does is he lifts the bird out of the situation to a place of healing. I remember saying, Lord, is that what we're doing? In so releasing Jennifer, are we lifting her out? And as sure as I'm talking to you, the Lord said, no, Tim. This is what I'm doing. And you have a choice. You could either not do this and protect yourself from a potential storms or issues or problems or the adversary come at us. You could protect yourself. Or out of heart of compassion, you could release my dove to my hand. And you could trust me that I know is best and that my plans that I have for her are to help her and not hurt her. Do you believe that for your own life? Do you? I believe that for God and for God's life in Jennifer, that he has plans to help her and not hurt her. And so through this agonizing time, it was not a rash decision. It was over months of prayer and discussion and what to do and try to help her, that we felt the best way to help her was indeed to release her, to let her go. Friday was her last day officially at the office. We are here to tell you this, and I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Jennifer is not 
fired. She is not fired because of incompetence. It's not about irresponsibility. It's not about negligence. It's not even about work hours. It's got nothing to do with performance. Jennifer is being let go because of capability, not competence. There is a difference here. And for her to continue on, and for us to just let it go in order not to to create any waves, we are doing more than a disservice. It is almost an act of cruelty to her. To say, you know what? God has something beyond new life in which she will blossom. A very close friend of hers, Gail Barrett, Gail and Phil, as I talked to them, hoping they could come alongside of her through this, Gail even said, she won't understand now. She'll be upset now. She'll struggle now. But she will look back years from now, look back and say, that was the best thing that ever happened in my life. And this is someone very close to her. Even Julie shared, she says, you know, and it takes us a while to work through this process and wrap our head around it. She said, I really struggled at first. And she met with me a week or so ago. She said, but I want you to know I'm good with it now. As a matter of fact, not only am I good with it, I'm really kind of excited for her. I'm excited because now I I believe in here that God's going to do some great things in Jennifer's life. And that's a process that we all go through. Jennifer's helped and touched almost all of our lives in some way or another. And I told Jennifer, I said, Jennifer, you have nothing to be ashamed about. She doesn't. She could hold her head high. She's still family here. Next week, as a matter of fact, we're going to have an appreciation uh, party between the services. We're encouraging folks that, to be here, to be part of that, to encourage her. And she could, anytime and every time, from here on, whenever, she's got a place here. This is family. Now, as part of the severance package that's put together, we feel it's been very generous to help her. We set up three months that for now and the next three months through the end of April, she will continue every week to receive her normal paycheck. She'll have a three-month severance package. We can continue her insurance by law for three months after termination, separation. So she will continue to be on the insurance plan, and we will continue to uh, pay for that insurance plan for the next three months. We've talked to her insurance a representative, Dave Shimkus, and Dave said he's ready at the end of April to be contacting her and could have her in a far better plan at an incredibly less price, incredibly less. And so she has a qualifying event in her life, it's considered, and will be able to uh, get some good coverage for her insurance. Because our fear is, like your fear, how's she going to make it? How's she going to make it financially? How's she going to make it with insurance? I said, you know what? She's going to make it by the grace of God the same way all of us make it. God will watch out for her. God loves her like an only child, and I know that. And But we are here to come alongside and say, here's what we're doing to help alleviate fears, to help alleviate struggles. And we have this three-month severance. We also are going to send her, if she so desires, for two weeks down to Haiti. She loves the Haitian people. She loves the ministry down there. She would get down there and be able to do what she does best, and that's love on people. She will love on them. They will love on her. And you know what? If God wants her there in Haiti, guess what? We will have a new missionary to Haiti. We will start saying, you know what? We support you 100%. We are behind you. When you this is where God wants you. We're all for it. If it's not, that's God's plan for her is between God and her. We're here to say that we love you and we're here for you. And so as we go through this, we want you to know as a board... We are united on this. Like I said, Glenn uh, could not be with us this morning. We have not taken it rashly. It is not done out of a heart of malice whatsoever, nor a desire to create a problem. It's done out of a heart of compassion and compassion alone for Jennifer. And we believe that God will get her through this and get us through this. Do you believe that? we got to believe that. I'm going to ask for us to take the mic and lead us in prayer for Jennifer. I'm going to ask that we stand at this time. 
And will you just, with a hand extended towards Artist Drive where Jennifer lives, just join with us. Believe that God's grace and spirit will just wrap his arms around her. Russ, you lead us, please, as we pray. Will you bow with me, please? God, we just praise you for who you are. Yes, Lord. And we thank you for all you do for us. Thank you, Jesus. And we thank you for your hand on Jennifer. That's right, Lord. We thank you for how you have healed her physically since she had her aneurysm, God. Yes, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And we ask you just to flow through her in all she does. God, we ask you to to give her eyes to see open doors, God, as we pray for her to see that. We just thank you for her and how she has touched all of our lives here at New Life over the years, God. We know you have great plans for her, God. And we bless you, God. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, elders, for coming up. During the annual business meeting here in another hour and a half, of course, we'll have the opening part, the financial part, get that taken care of. God's doing some great and amazing things there. Uh, we'll also, there'll be a time for questions, answers, concerns, things in your mind uh, that we'll give you the opportunity to discuss openly. I, I'm really big on what I call family time. The best way to deal with things is to talk about it as a family. And so we'll have that opportunity this afternoon. encourage you to go grab a quick bite. I'll have you out of here by noon. Just kidding. And, uh, but we'll, we'll get to it. Anyways, God is doing some great and amazing things here, by the way. You know that? He is. I mean, we've seen a number of adults saved the past few months. Matter of fact, those who be getting baptized here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we, we have seen people that have come with back injuries that God has just healed miraculously just the past week or two. Uh, we, we see people coming to the Lord. We see people getting touched and healed. We see God moving in our midst and continuing to grow us uh, spiritually and, and working in, in new life in such a way that it's just got God's fingerprint all over it. But I'm here to tell you something. Whenever God's working, I will guarantee you your adversary will also be working. This morning I invite you to take your Bibles... And turn from the left to the right, and when you get to Nehemiah, which is just before Esther, just before Job, just before Psalms, when you get to Nehemiah chapter 4, put your bulletin there. And then as you continue on into the New Testament, and you'll get to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, put last week's bulletin there, (laughs) if you have it. And then I'm going to direct your attention to 1 Peter. Because I said, Lord, what would you have me to cover? I just, I just did not feel like Acts is where I was supposed to go. And the Lord just started taking me through a process uh, through scriptures of just reading and looking and moving. And, and he brought me to, second, or to 1 Peter chapter 2. And my message this morning is, trust the Lord, but know your adversary. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it's where he first took me in verse 4 and verse 5. The scripture says, And you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We have here an amazing text that the Lord directed me to. And what jumped out at me is a phrase that he used when he said, You are living stones. I don't know if you've picked up a stone lately and tried to have a conversation with one. It's usually a monologue if you've ever tried it. You could try it this afternoon. We won't make fun of you. We'll watch you, but we won't make fun. There's no life in that stone. It's not living. There's no pulse. It doesn't do anything. There's no breath. It's just just there. It's a rock. 
But yet the Lord says that he can take a stone and bring it to life. And he brings this stone to life, and then it becomes a living stone, and he then starts building as the master builder, he himself being the cornerstone, an eternally living stone. In other words, there is rock there that has strength and stability in faith. It is strong, and yet there's a pulse there because God gave it a pulse. God brought it to life. Can, by the way, can God bring rocks to life? Absolutely he can. If we're made from the dust of the earth, that's really all we are, isn't it? We were made from the dust of the earth. We're just not compacted as tight as a rock. And he said, if we don't cry out, if we don't praise him, he'll make even that the stones, what? Cry out. Remember, that's a humbling thing when the Lord says, Tim... I can replace you with a rock. <laughs> okay. It's not too far of a stretch for you to realize that, oh yeah, he can replace Tim with a rock, easy. A little stone will cover it. <laughs> but you and I are living stones. We are rocks that God is using, and God is doing a building project. And he's building with these living stones. And so, as I read this, I said, all right, you're doing a work, God, and you're taking us, these stones, and, and you're building something. And then he directed my attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. Before I read verse 11, i just let you bring you up in a context. In here, in the context, there was interpersonal issues within the church. And there was, someone got hurt, something happened, someone needed to forgive somebody else. And, and Paul says that I forgave them in Christ for your sake. And then on the heels of that, in verse 11, he says why he did this, why he dealt with this. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. So in other words, in the midst of an issue that was taking place in that church, remember, a church built with living stones that God, the master builder, was building, in that church, in the interpersonal relationships, whatever it might be, doesn't necessarily expound, uh, he says there, there are times when, when our emotions are involved and we are intertwined with this issue at hand. He says, but as we are involved in this, we need to remember that on the outside, there is someone who is trying to attack on the inside. There is an adversary who will come at us. Not only in our church setting, but in our personal lives as well. You can guarantee that Satan, the enemy of God, is also an adversary of you and I. Isn't that right? And, and by the way, good thing about him, though he comes as a roaring lion, the scripture tells us, yet he, his teeth have been plucked out. Amen? As well as declawed. He can't do anything but roar at us. He can't do anything because greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world. Amen? And the same is true in your life and my life and Jennifer's life and all of our lives. In Jesus Christ, we are impenetrable to the adversary. Amen? But that doesn't mean that he won't try to scheme his way in, right? And what we need to know, as Paul said, we need to be aware of this. And, and I know in my life and, and the things we go on, we sometimes forget that we have, as the scripture says, an adversary, the devil. And so as I'm reading this, I said, well, what do I do with this, Lord? And that's where as I just, actually, I just said, okay, I flipped my Bible open, boom, and in Nehemiah chapter 4, and I go, huh. You ever do that? You go, huh, look at that. A building project dealing with stones. Matter of fact, they'll even talk about making them come alive. <laughs> As a matter of fact, you'll see here a project is going on and there's an adversary on the outside. As we come to this chapter, one of the things I notice is that the enemy is always aware when God is at work. When God's not working, the devil doesn't care. He'll go do whatever. But when God's working, the devil is also working on the other side. He's always on the other side of the equation. And so as we look at our text here, I'm going to do a miraculous thing today. I know you won't believe this. 
But I'm going to cover chapter 4 and chapter 6 in our little period of time. I know, you say, you can't get through two verses. How are you going to get through chapters? We'll just buckle up and hang on. All right. Notice verse 1. When Sanballat, this is a guy, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the walls, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the armies of Samaria. In other words, he got his buddies together. He got all the armies of Samaria north of Jerusalem together. And, and in front of everyone there, he starts making fun of the Jewish people down there building the walls around Jerusalem. And this is what he said. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Answer? Yes. <laughs> Will they offer sacrifices? Answer, yes. Will they finish in a day? Answer, no. <laughs> They'll finish in 52 days. They won't do it in a day. This isn't a day project. This is a project that takes time. Can they bring the stones back to life from whose heap of rubble burned as they are? Can they bring the stones back to life? Answer, some are saying yes, some are saying no. I heard someone say God can. And the answer is yes and no. No, they cannot bring these stones back to life. But God can bring stones back to life. Amen? God says, I could do the impossible. I could take this burned piece of rubbish, rock, and I can put life into that thing. I could take care of this stone named Tim and make it come alive, and I could put inject my life into it, and I can use it in my building project. So the answer is, can they do it? No, but there's nothing impossible with God. Amen? He says, I can do it. Now, Sam Ballot, he doesn't know. He doesn't believe God can do it, nor does he want God to do it. Well, then we meet verse 3, another guy named Tobiah. Tobiah, it kind of, Sam Ballot, Tobiah reminds me of Sam Ballot, like this real big hulk of a guy rallying the troops, a man's man type guy causing the trouble. And then I see Tobiah, like this little mousy guy that comes up alongside of Tobiah as a sidekick and go, yeah. And here's what he says. Tobiah, the Amorite, who was at his side. See, there's the sidekick part. He says, what they're building, even if a fox climbs on it, it would break down their walls of stone. So here he's, he's insulting, Sam Ballot's insulting Israel. He's bringing uh, dispersions against them. He's saying, ah, they're feeble. Ah, they'll never do this. And, and, and Tobiah comes along and goes, yeah, even a fox will knock that wall down. Well, if a fox will knock the wall down, then why are you so upset about it? Ever thought of that? If it's that lousy of a job, if it's that feeble of a project, if it's that delicate of a wall that even a fox going by will knock it over, then what are you worried about? Because deep down in their heart, they knew when God works, it's not a feeble job. Amen? When God works, it is a stone wall of faith. But yet, here they are mocking him. We notice our adversary scheme so that we are not unwitted. First is to do this, to mock the work of God. To mock the work of God to others. Secondly, to cast insults and ridicule on others. In other words, stir up trouble. And then he casts doubt into the minds of those that are involved in the work. You say, well, how do you know that they know? Because it was in their book, right? It's a Jewish book, right? So they wrote what the other guys said, <laughs> So they knew what was going on. Later, you'll see they'll say it right in their faces. So here in their minds, this word comes back to them as a curse that God uh, is, is not going to do this work. He curses God, his people, he insults them, and he causes discouragement to come in their hearts. Why? Because the adversary knows if he can discourage you, he can defeat you. 
If he can take away your faith in a holy God and cause you to worry and listen to them, he will put discouragement in your heart and he will knock you down and he will defeat you from the work that God is doing. If you're going to continue in the work, you cannot let these insults and ridicule and gainsaying come upon you. Israel heard their ridicule. And what was Nehemiah's response? Verse 4, he prayed. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. In other words, no question about that. They despise us. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give their Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins uh, from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So they just uh, keep it amongst themselves. They're throwing this in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until uh, all the, of it was reached half of its height. For the people worked with all their heart. So what was their response? To plan A, their response was they went to the Lord in prayer, they encouraged the people, and they got back at it. They prayed to the Lord they could do something about it, and they got back to work. As a matter of fact, what's interesting, verse 6 infers they were even more motivated. I mean, they had a mind to work, they had a heart to work. They said, man, you know what? Wait a minute, we're not listening to you guys. We're not going to get discouraged. Matter of fact, we're going to put more energy and effort into it. So they got right back at it. So plan A failed. Sam Ballant, Tobiah, and the boys are like, great. Now what? What comes after plan A? Plan B. Plan B, verse 7. But when Sam Ballant, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod, which, by the way, these are interesting territories. Ammon is central Jordan, and all the ways to the uh, Jordan River. We know it as the West Bank, the other side of the Jordan River. That's the West Bank today. Ashdod is what's known as today as Gaza. Isn't it amazing that still Ashdod and Ammonites, the West Bank and Gaza, are still involved with issues with Israel? I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Same players. So the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs of the Jerusalem wall had gone ahead. They're like, man, they're still going ahead. And the gaps were being closed. Oh, no. They were very angry. They're not happy when God's working. They all plotted together to come and now fight. Not just make fun of, but now we're going to fight them. We're going to fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But Nehemiah said, but we, what? Prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So plan B was, all right, we're done making fun. Now we're going to fight. Now we're going to come at them. Now we're going to hit them. Now we're going to hurt them. We're going to turn up the heat. So what did Nehemiah do? They turned up the prayers. They say, you know what? We're just going to pray more. They're going to come ask, we're going to pray more. But what's interesting, they didn't just pray and say, well, all right, we're trusting a sovereign God here. They prayed and they posted, didn't they? They prayed and say, Lord, we ask for your protection. And they say, and we're going to post a guard. We're going to be prepared should they come. You see, there is a balance there, and we can get out of balance. We can say, oh, it's, it's all God. It's got nothing to do with us. He's a sovereign God. He's going to do what he wants to do. Is that true? Absolutely it's true. But there's the other balance to that where God says, now, Nehemiah, don't be a knucklehead. Post a guard. Be prepared. Realize that the enemy's going to come, and faith is not foolish. Faith is not foolish. Faith realizes that there's a problem, an adversary that could come at me. And foolishness does nothing about it. Faith prays to God and does whatever is necessary in preparation. You can take that a number of different ways. We do the same in our daily lives with our kids. I, I trust that we pray for our kids, right? You know, Lord, help us, help these kids to grow up to be godly young men and young women. And, and I pray for my grandkids' spouses already. I do, right? You have not because you ask not. I'm going to be praying for godly spouses for them. 
And if you have young girls around there, my grandson's age, let me know. We'll talk later. <laughs> but I pray for my kids. I pray for my grandkids. But I also get involved and help them and teach them and grow them. There's the balance there. We pray uh, for our work. But guess what? We also get up and go to work, right? There's a balance there. We pray for our church, but we also take an active role in being involved in preparation against the adversary. So when this happened, guess what? Plan A did not work. And so as a result, they went on to the next plan. Verse 10 and verse 12. Here's what, here's what happened in plan B. During plan B, it says, Meanwhile, while we're praying and posting... The people in Judea said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot repair the wall. Do you hear any defeatism in there? Man, we're wearing out, we're tired. And because of this mess, they see the problem. They didn't say we're having a hard time. He said, We can't do it. They're already defeated. We cannot do it. And this, listen, and our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to this work. Then they went on to say, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us how many times? Ten times over. Wherever you turn, they will attack. Do you notice what the enemy does here? The enemy makes fun of them and gets in their face and they just kept working at it. Then the enemy turns up the heat and says, we're not going to just make fun. Now we're going to fight them. Now we're going to kill them. We're going to come at them. And what happened? They prayed and posted their guard. But what happened to the people individually? The enemy got into their head. Got into their head. Because as the enemy gets into their head, they prayed, they got back to work, they made their precautions, but all of a sudden they began to become discouraged. They began to start fearing. They began to start listening to the enemy. The enemy said, wherever you turn, we are going to kill you. As a matter of fact, not only did the enemy say that, others that were Jews that were close by said that. And they didn't say it once. They said it 10 times to them. Let me help us understand one of the schemes of the enemy. Our adversary, God's enemy and ours, always amplifies the threat and magnifies the problem. Amplifies the threat. In other words, they didn't hear it once. They kept hearing it and hearing it and hearing it. The, the amplification kept getting louder and louder and louder until it was drowning out everything in their head and it's all they could hear was the amplification of this problem, this threat. And then the devil amplifies it in our mind and then magnifies it in our eyes. Look at all this rubbish. Look at all these stones. There's no way we could do this. The devil always will take those routes with us as a body and as an individual. He will do it in your life and mind. When there's a problem, guess what happens? All of a sudden, it just gets amplified in our head and we hear it and we think it. As a matter of fact, it's so loud that it wakes us up in the middle of the night sometimes. Is that true? Someone once asked, how do you meditate on the Word of God? The same way you worry about problems, only in reverse, Right? Let the Word of God, let the Spirit of God be in your head and constantly let that go over and over. Amplify the Word of God. Don't amplify what the enemy says. And so the enemy will always amplify it and then he'll always magnify it. Let me ask you a question. If I put a magnifying glass on an ant, not to do anything with the sun, but if I were to put a magnifying glass over an ant, am I making that ant any bigger than it is? It's still the size of an ant, isn't it? But it looks like it's the size of a, a what? A cricket? I can't hear you out there, I'm sorry. I'm half deaf. 
But whatever it is, it's, whatever it is, he said, that's the size of it. That's how big it is. The size of an elephant. It didn't make it any bigger, but it made it look bigger. Here's the, the problem. The devil, our adversary, wants us to have the amplification turned up in our head. And we hear it here and here and here and here and here and here and here. That we're always hearing it. And then he wants us to magnify it, to make it look bigger than it really actually is. Because if you and I will magnify our problem, we will not be magnifying our God. The scripture says that our responsibility is to magnify God. Now, let me ask you, can we make God any bigger than he is? No, he's already huge. The magnification is not to make God bigger. The magnification is for us and others to see how big our God is. To get a better vision of our God. To get a better view of our God. Say, wow, look at God. We're called to magnify God. But I'll guarantee you, the devil's going to want you to magnify the problem. Make that problem look bigger than it is. Amplify the threat in your head that it just starts consuming your thoughts. These people are going through that. We go through that. Jennifer will go through that. We need to pray against the adversary that will come at her and try to magnify it and try to amplify it in her head. We need to pray a hedge of protection around her and ask God to help her and protect her and get her through this. Amen? Amen. Because it happens in all of our lives. We know the schemes of the devil. So what happened? Verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lower part of the wall point of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them and their families with their swords, spears, and bows. We won't get into that. After I looked things over, I stood up. I said to the nobles and the officers and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Instead, remember the Lord. Don't put your mind on them and what he says, remember the Lord. And who is great and awesome and fights for you and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters and your wives and your houses. He says, be careful where your focus is. Don't let your focus get on what they say. Get your focus on what the Lord says. And that's the ultimate question. Who are we going to believe? Will our faith be on what the enemy says or will our faith be on what God says? Will our faith be on what the enemy does against us, or will our faith be on a God who can do all things through us? Where are we going to align? Because where you align yourself will determine where your heart's going to be at, whether in turmoil or whether your hands are going to be there doing the work. So the enemy comes at them. The enemy amplifies the problem, magnifies the issue. And yet we see in verse 15 to 18, they failed again. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to work, each to his own work. The enemy heard that, they're like, man, we're frustrated again. So from that day and a half, of my, half of my men did the work while the other half uh, were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armors. Uh, the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall Those who were carrying material did the work uh, with one hand and held a weapon in the other hand. Each of the builders uh, wore his sword at his side uh, as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles and the officers and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely uh, separated for each one along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us. Our God will fight for us. So he continued the work. Uh, the half of the men uh, holding the, the spears and the other half uh, for the, from the first light of dawn until the stars came. Now, plan A failed, making fun of them. Plan B was to frustrate the work and that failed. Plan C is to, they recognize, the devil sees that there is a potential for division. They're separated along this wall, and the devil says, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of that. Because the devil knows uh, to be divided is danger. 
And to be united is strength. So the devil is going to come at us uh, in a, whenever we are divided, whether it's a family, uh, whether it's a church family, whether it's individuals, a, a, even a person divided against himself cannot stand. The scripture speaks of a double-minded man in James. He says, if he can divide us, then he can conquer us. There's a term, divide and conquer, as a matter of fact. Plan C was to get in there and make sure that there's division, that there's separation. How did they respond? He said, when you hear that trumpet blow, you guys all need to come together. When, when it hits one part of the wall, everyone else got to gather around. When it comes at us in one direction, doesn't matter what you're doing, put your trowel down, grab your sword, and come on in, and we will fight for each other together. Because the devil knows that to be divided is danger for us. But he also knows to be united is strength for us. So the response was they continued to pray. They pulled together the, the people and they said, you know what, we're here for each other. As a church, we need to be here for each other. Amen? When one hurts, we all hurt. When one struggles, we all struggle. When one rejoices, guess what? We all rejoice. It's easy to weep with those who weep, isn't it? It's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, they got the new car and your beater just broke down. He said, oh, wonderful new car. <laughs> I rejoice with you, brother. <laughs> and then your clunker goes down. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's easier to weep with those who weeps. It's more difficult to rejoice with those who rejoice. But in both cases, he said, work together at this. Be united. At good times, bad times, hard times, smooth times, be united. Chapter 6, Plan D. And yes, I can wrap it up. Plan D, distract and draw away. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, God bless you, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up till this time I had not seen the doors uh, in the gates, Sambalat and Geshem, know who's, notice who's together, sent me this message. So here's the message they sent. Quote, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of... Oh, no. <laughs> Do you see a hint in there? Is there any clue in there that maybe you shouldn't go to the plain of... Oh, no. <laughs> Have any of us ever been to that plain? I've, I've taken that flight, right? I'm in a place and I go, oh no! How in the world did I get here? Tim, you went there! <laughs> and you crazy knucklehead. I'm in the plains of oh no, and whenever I go to the plain of oh no, guess what? I always have regret. What did I go to that plain for? So he invites him to the plain of oh no. <laughs> but... They were, what? Scheming, plotting to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. Then can cannot come down. Why should the work stop? Well, I leave it and go down to you. Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave the same answer. So what is the plan D? Plan D is to distract by drawing away. Come away from the others, Nehemiah. Come over here to the plain of Ono. Get away from them. Don't worry about them. You just come over here with us. We'll take care of you. And if you didn't get the message the first time, they came at him again and again and again. The enemy just kept coming back. Come on over. Come on over. Ah, just forget them. Come on over here. Move us out of the place where God is working and come over here, so we just want to meet with you. We just want a little downtime with you. Nehemiah's solution, stay at it, don't fall for it, and know that the adversary is always persistent. Let him keep being persistent. Stay at the work. When that didn't work, plan E was enacted. He almost does the whole alphabet here, but we won't. Verse 5. Four times it didn't work. Then the fifth time comes. Sam Ballot sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter 
in which was written. Now, so the, the aide comes again. He sends him again for the fifth time. He has the same message. This is an audible message that he, hey, come on down to this village in the plain of Ono, and we need to talk to you. But in his hand was a letter. It wasn't a sealed letter for your eyes only. Confidential letters are sealed. They would bring it to the one in charge. They would open it up, and it was between the two generals or whoever was discussing this. It wasn't a letter that would just be for Nehemiah's eyes only. Read it, throw it away. It's very important that it says, for it was not sealed. It was public knowledge. They made sure it was public knowledge. As a matter of fact, when they got there, essentially it was read publicly. And here's what was read. It's reported among the nations. And Geshem, you remember Geshem? He's just hanging out with Sam Ballot. Geshem says it's true. I heard this, and this guy says it's true. Well, this guy's been plotting with you. This guy's in your camp. And you're, oh, well, there's a good witness, right? Well, this has got to be true. If Geshem said it's true, it's got to be true. This is what it said. That you, Nehemiah, and the Jews are plotting. Interesting. They're the ones plotting, but they say Nehemiah's plotting. Plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you, Nehemiah, in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So let us confer together. In other words, come on back. Come on down to the plain of Ono. Nehemiah's response. So I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you just said is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. <laughs> I love that reply. Where did you get that? How did you come up with that? You notice, he goes on, he says, they're just all trying to frighten us into thinking their hands will get us too weak for the work and that will not be completed. I prayed, now strengthen my hand. You see, if the adversary could not distract him and pull him away, the adversary then says, well, I will discredit him before everyone else. I'll make so everyone else knows or thinks that Nehemiah, their leader, has an alternative motive. He's got other plans. He's got a secret plot that you Israelites don't know about. He's going to make himself king and try to rally the people to look at Nehemiah and go, what? What's this? Even Geshem says it's true. And I notice Nehemiah, you know what he does with these false rumors? He prayed to the Lord, he encouraged the people, he ignored the lies, and he kept moving forward. You see, friends, a good principle to live by is this. If the criticism is true, own it and mend your ways. But if it is not, you need to let it go like water off a duck's back. You need to let it go and say, you know what? Where did you come up with that stuff? You made it up out of your own head. And, and friends, in your life and my life, I have found it to be true. You know, if it's, if it's true, mend my ways. If it's not, let it go. You cannot fix it by trying to run down every rumor and every lie and every falsehood. You can't try fixing it yourself. You just need to let it go. You let it go to the grace of God and know that God's got it under control. That's why Scripture says it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. By the way, the vines are taller than little foxes. Did you ever notice that? The little foxes spoil the vine not because they're trampling the grapes. The little foxes spoil the vine when you and I chase them through the vineyard. We are the ones who are ultimately spoiling the vine because they would always try to chase the foxes out of the vineyard and they end up knocking them over and trampling them underfoot. So there's the little foxes that get you to chase them and you do more damage than you just let them run. Let them go. Those little foxes, Lord's not worried about them. Build a fence of prayer around the vineyard. Trust the Lord of the vineyard to take care of it. So Nehemiah, rather than hunt it down, let it go. We wrap it up with plan F. There's a lot of them. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of, I don't know, Mehatabel. 
me, he, table. Looks good. Who was shut up in his home. So he went to visit one of the Israelites. He said, this guy said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us choose uh, to close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you, Nehemiah. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. It's amazing what people will do for a little money, isn't it? <laughs> 30 pieces of silver will turn over the Messiah. A lump of money to the guards will say that the disciples stole him by night. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalad, O God. Because of what they have done, remember also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who have been trying to intimidate me. In other words, the adversary tries to discredit from without with this open letter, tries to get and discredit from within. And friends, that's how the devil rolls. He tries to get in our heads. He tries to get us pulled aside. He tries to discredit the leadership. And I'm not just, this isn't a protect him thing. No, the, the elders, he will come after elders. He will come after the leadership that you provide in your areas of ministry. He will always go after leadership. And he will be an accuser of the brethren to God. He will accuse us to each other. And he will accuse us to ourselves, Because that's how he rolls. And the question is, are you going to let yourself get wrapped around the axle? Are you going to let yourself get drawn in? Or are you going to say, is this of God? Because if it's not, I want nothing to do with it, he says. I'm not going in. Well, he goes on, praises the Lord, mission accomplished, verse 15. The wall was completed in the 25th of Elud, around September, 52 days Notice, by the way, as I close, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations, look look what happened to them. They were afraid. They lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And by the way, you read the very last verse of the chapter, old Tobiah continues to send more letters. The devil will not give up, period. Our job is not to get him to stop. He won't stop. That's how he rolls. He doesn't know any better. Our job is to be aware of the devil's schemes and not to get sucked into it, not to get distracted and pulled over to the plane of, oh no, uh, not to, to, to get pulled into something that's not of God, to say, Lord, we are going to be united in Christ. We are going to pray this through. We are going to trust you, the great God, to continue to do a great work. And we are going to continue to put our hand to the work. And watch the great things that you have for us as a church, for us as individual, for Jennifer and her life, and for what he's going to do in and through new life. That's what I believe. This is what God led me through. And I look, I said, I am glad to be, as you are, one of the living stones in his fence building project. The adversary will come. Keep building a fence. It will get done. Amen? It will get done. Beware of the adversary. He insults the work and casts doubts of discouragement. He tries to get in our head and amplify the problem and magnify the issue. He tries to cause separation and disunity. He tries to distract us and draw us away. And he tries to discredit us, whether from without or whether from within. But here's what I know. God bless you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We read the end of the book, and we win. Amen? (laughs) We win. He's a loser and will always be a loser. Right? He just doesn't know. He's a sore loser, by the way. But he's a loser nonetheless. We are not victims. Jennifer is not a victim. Jennifer is a victor in Jesus Christ. She's a victor. Even even in the broken state, she is a victor. And God is going to blossom her. God is going to use her. And God is going to do great things in and through her life and in and through this church. And I praise God that we can be there to undergird her and help her through this time.
Father, as we come before you, work in our midst. Speak, we ask. Move, we pray. And Lord, maybe there's others here that the amplification of some issue in their life, just keep, the volume gets louder and louder and it's tenfold right now. Maybe, Lord, the magnification, the problem that seems so small seems so big now. Father, would you help us to move that magnifying glass away from the problem and back to our Savior? Would you help us, Lord, to turn down the volume of the enemy and what the enemy has to say and turn up the volume of the Spirit and say, what does the Spirit have to say? Father, work in our midst this day. Help us to lay our burdens, our issues, our troubles before you as we trust you and look to you in our life, in Jennifer's life, in Chuck and Sonia's life. And Lord, until the Lord comes, help us to be building the wall. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.